0: This is the fifth and final part of our series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, just to backtrack a little bit, in case some of you weren't here the first couple of weeks. uh, Paul went to the city of Ephesus, a big thriving seaport, and he stayed there three years, which is longer than he ever stayed anywhere. And after he got kicked out of the synagogue, he rented a hall and he taught there every day and people would come to listen to him. So the church, he built up quite a big church in Ephesus. And then he went on to other places. And then ten years later, he's in jail in Rome. He's waiting his trial. And he thinks back of those people in Ephesus, and he writes this letter to them. And in the beginning of the letter, he reminds them of the great gift of grace, that we're saved not by our own works, but we're saved by grace through faith. And then toward the end of the letter, the part that we're going to read, He gives them just such good practical advice on how to be a Christian. What it means to be a a real Christian. And that's the section that we're going to read here today from chapter 4. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning of men, by their craftiness in deceitful wiles. Rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. We'll save the Matthew passage for extra credit reading later on, okay? You can read that. I was overly ambitious thinking we would get to that. This passage basically says this, God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth, and to tell it in love. To grow up, know the truth, and to tell it in love. That's what he's saying that we need to do. And the problem with this text is not that we don't understand it. We do. It's just hard to do. It's hard to grow up. It's hard to be a mature person. You probably heard the story of the father who called out to his son in the morning, time to get out of bed, time to go to school. The son said, I'm not going to school. I'm not going for three reasons. Nobody likes me. Nobody listens to me. Nobody cares about me. Father says, you got to go to school. You got to go for three reasons. They need you, you're important, and you're the principal. It's hard to grow up into maturity. Some people feel like life is kind of backwards. You've heard the old saying of Oscar Wilde, that youth is wasted on the young. So uh, there there was a movie uh, called The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Brad Pitt was in it. And it's a story of a guy who was born old and he grows younger as time goes on. Robert Benson actually advocates that, thinks that the reverse way of living is perfect. He wrote this. I think the life cycle is all backwards. You should die first, get that out of the way, then live 20 years in an old age home. You get kicked out when you're too young. You get a retirement gift and you go to work. You work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. You go to college until you're ready for high school. You go to grade school. You become a little child. You play. You have no responsibilities. You become a little baby. You go back into the womb. You spend your last nine months floating. And you finish off as a gleam in your parents' eye. You know, even though life is understood backwards, you have to live it forward. So what does it mean to grow into the maturity that Paul dreams for them to have and for us to have. The first thing he warns about is don't swap your faith for fads. Don't swap your faith for the latest fad that's coming through. 2,000 years ago, the church, the early church, was very susceptible to outside influence, right? I mean, did you realize that when this letter was written to the Christians, the Gospels had not even been written yet. They didn't have books of the sayings of Jesus. They didn't even have the Gospels. So they were, they were young, the church was young, and, and he says, you don't want to get blown about by the winds of time. They were susceptible to the, the current reigning philosophies of the day. Gnosticism, Platonism, Stoicism, the, 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 the main philosophies of the day. And he doesn't want to get them polluted by these things. So he says, don't get just whipped around by the latest fads that are out there. The summer before I went to high school was the summer, the quote, summer of love. When all the hippies descended on San Francisco and that whole movement began. And um, even in boring Phoenix, we had hippies. We had hippies there, and um, that it exploded, and there was, a, there was a little splinter group, part of, the, of, of that hippie group, there was a group called the Jesus Freaks, and I was a Jesus Freak. What you had to do to be a Jesus Freak was you had to grow your hair really long, you had to grow a beard, some of us kept them, um, you had to have bad looking jeans with holes in it, you know, sandals, and carry your Bible and have your Bible study out in the park. That's what you did to be a Jesus. It was a total fad total fad, here and then gone. And then it was follow what we had the new age fad. Everybody had to have crystals and do all this kind of stuff. And then there was the, the charismatic fad where people were speaking in tongues. There was the praise music fad where people traded in the great hymns of the church for little tiny songs that had three words and 11 verses that were endlessly repeated ditties that had the theological nourishment of a packet of sweet and low. Um, and so all of those were fads. And, and Paul says, don't, don't buy into fads. Just stay with the basics of the gospel. That's what's all you need in life. Don't swap your faith for the emptiness of fads. And then we need to learn in our, for spiritual maturity to live out of our mind. One of my favorite films is The Bucket List where Edward, played by Jack Nicholson, and Carter, played by Morgan Freeman, are both diagnosed as terminally ill. They've got about a year to live. So they compile a list of all the things that they've always wanted to do before they kick the bucket, the bucket list. And they set about doing those things. And in one scene, Edward and Carter are on their way to Europe in a private jet. Both men look out the window together the stars. It's really one of God's good ones, Carter says. So you think a being of some sort did all this, Edward says? Carter says, don't, you don't? Referring to his illness, Edward replies, you mean, do I believe if I look up in the sky and promise this or that, that the biggie will make all of this go away? Meaning his cancer. Well, then 95% of the people on earth are wrong, Carter says. Edward smugly fires back, If life has taught me anything, it's that 95% of the people are always wrong. It's called faith, Carter says. So what do you believe, Carter asks. I resist all beliefs. No Big Bang, no random universe. We live, we die, Edward says, and the wheels on the bus go round and round. But what if you're wrong? I'd love to be wrong. If I'm wrong, I win. Carter chuckles and says, I'm not sure it works like that. You know, Carter was smart. He knew that faith is caught and not taught. He knew that it was a choice. Some people get it. Some people don't. Now, the really good news is this, though. If you make the wrong choice, and Paul tells us this in chapter 2 of Ephesians, we're saved by grace, not our own works. So if you make the wrong choice to ignore God in your life, the good news is that God still chooses you. You may not choose God, but that's not ultimately what matters. What matters is that God, through Christ, has chosen you and given you the gift of grace. God takes us away from nothing in this world and promises to go with us through everything and in the end to make something new right at the spot where we die. All of this Not because of how much we believe, but because of how much God believes in us. And then we need for spiritual maturity to get rid of false images of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is handcrafted. It's not mass produced. A lot of people think there is just some general formula or blueprint for how growth happens. It's not true. What would feed a mouse would starve an elephant. What would grow an orchid would drown a cactus. We all have commonalities, but there are different ways that we express these things. We need to find the unique conditions that will enable us to grow spiritually. I've noticed this in, in looking at different Christians in terms of their spiritual growth. There are some people who are really good at being contemplative, meditative. About They're able to sit quietly and to pray and to meditate. And, and do that kind of stuff. And they really grow and are nurtured by that. But I know a bunch of other Christians who have ADD, and they can't sit for five minutes. They're always getting up doing stuff. They're, they're going around, moving around, doing all this kind of stuff. Well, for them, their spirituality is one of action, of doing. For the contemplative, it's one of just being. Each person has their own way through their own personality to grow into spiritual maturity. It's not all the same. We don't have to all do it the same way. The other false image of spiritual growth is that we become a totally different person when we become a Christian. The myth of the 180 degrees change. One of the things I just love about Netflix is that I get to watch movies that I saw a long time ago, and when I watch them, it's like a new movie to me. I don't remember half of the movie, and so it's like a brand new thing. And so I recently got to watch a movie from 1983, Tender Mercies, with Robert Duvall, who plays a country western singer, one of my favorite characters. He's there, he's a country western singer. He gets married to this gal who has a 10-year-old boy, and it's time for the boy to be baptized in the Baptist church, you know, by immersion there and doing that. And it turns out that Robert Duvall hasn't been baptized, so they decide they're going to do it together. They're both going to get baptized, and they do in this service, and they're in the truck, and they're driving home from the church, and the kid says, they say after you're baptized that you're brand new, that you're a whole new person. Do you feel brand new? Robert Duvall looks in the rearview mirror and says, not yet, not yet you don't feel brand new. It doesn't happen that way. It takes a while. John Upbrick said that some things will not change no matter how much you grow spiritually. Your raw material, your basic wiring, your metabolism, your DNA, they just get redirected. I mean, think about Paul, our author of this letter. Here he was, he was a passionate zealous man whose goal in life was to kill as many Christians as he could. Then he meets Jesus Christ in the dramatic incident on the road to Damascus, and he becomes a Christian. So who was he after that day? He was a passionate, zealous man who did everything he could to convert as many people to Christianity. He was the same personality, it was just his goal was redirected it changed. So when you become a Christian, it doesn't change everything about your personality. You just have a different goal, a different place to put your energy. It's important to know that I read about a woman who kept a spiritual journal. She wrote down the things that she was struggling with. There were three main things in her life she was struggling with spiritually. She came back to that journal 10 years later, and when she read it, she realized that the same three things were the issues that she was still dealing with in her life. The good news is that when you were created, God didn't just say it was good. He said it was very, very good. The last thing that Paul says to us is you've got to learn how to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Because sometimes truth when it's not wrapped in love is pretty painful and difficult i read the story of a couple by the name of herman and mary mary had inherited a bunch of money from her parents estate they bought a new car and they were driving in it mary said you know herman if it weren't for my money we wouldn't have this new car She said, you know, Herman, if it weren't for my money, we wouldn't be able to buy that new house. Later on, she said, hey, you know, Herman, if it weren't for my money, we wouldn't have that flat screen TV in the entertainment center. So finally, exasperated, Herman said, you know, Mary, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here either. (laughs) Now, that's the truth, but it's not wrapped in love, is it? we got to find a way to speak the truth in love. And it's hard. Because you you don't want to sugarcoat things. But you always want to have the truth when you speak it. You don't want to have somebody left lying bleeding on the floor after you've told them the truth. You want it to be in love so they can hear it. That's the only way that they can hear it. You know, Richard Rohr says that one of the big myths of our culture is that marriage is the answer to people's problems. Instead, marriage reveals our problems. Marriage makes us aware of our need to grow, of our need to forgive, our need to share, our need to die to ourselves. One of my favorite novelists, died a few years back, John Updike. And one of the reasons I really like him is that, um, well, I like him because he was a Presbyterian. and he went to church. And so whenever he wrote about ministers or churches, it was dead on. And that's hard to do because most authors who aren't participating, they write about it. But it doesn't, it doesn't ring true. But he always rang true with his characters in his novels like that. And uh, he, toward the very end of his life, he wrote a little essay, a little book called Self-Consciousness, which were his essays on various aspects of his life. Uh, And one of them was on his faith. And here's what he said. What small faith I have has given me what artistic courage I have. My theory was that God already knows everything and cannot be shocked. And so only truth is useful. Only truth can be built upon. Remember this when you pray. God already knows everything and cannot be shocked. So when you pray, you better tell the truth. Don't make up stuff. If you want a Ferrari, don't pray for a Toyota because it sounds better. God knows. So you tell the truth. You tell the truth because only the truth is useful. But our job is to find some way to wrap it in love. You know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And the only way that people can know the truth is if we wrap it in enough love that they can actually hear the truth from us. Paul says, don't swap your faith for fads. Get rid of the false images of spiritual growth and speak the truth in love. He says we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way unto him who is the head, unto Christ. Amen.